Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to the Sunday, April twenty-sixth episode of Poets and Muses, where we chat with poets about their inspirations. I am your host, Imogen Arate. You can follow us at poetsandmuses.com and via social media on Instagram and Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter either at poetsandmuses.com or at the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. And now you can also listen to Poets and Muses via Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, as well as Stitcher. With us today is Lydia Martinez, with whom I will be discussing her poem "El Sacrificio de las Papas" and my poem "Sanctuary." Before we do that, however, I am going to go over some virtual poetry events taking place during the week of April twenty seventh. They will be listed in Arizona time, unless I know otherwise. On Tuesday, April twenty eighth, from six to eight p.m., Connect and Heal will be hosting its weekly poetry writing workshop via Zoom. You can find more details about the event at meetup.com and look for Chandler Prose and Poetry Meetup. Again, that's meetup.com. Look for Chandler Prose and Poetry Meetup. On Wednesday, April twenty ninth, from five p.m. I will be joining the Haifa girls to talk about poetry in quarantine. This will take place via Instagram Live at the Haifa girls. You can find out more information about that by going to poetsandmuses.com/events. Again, that's poetsandmuses.com/events. From six to seven thirty p.m., Rosemary Dombrowski will be hosting AZ Poets Speak: Vanishing History via Zoom. You can find out more information about that at azhumanities.org/event. Again, that's azhumanities.org/event. On Thursday, April thirtieth, from seven to eight p.m. Brick Cave Media will be hosting a virtual book signing with Bill Campana. This will be taking place on Facebook. You can find out more about that information at brickcavemedia.com/event. Again, that's brickcavemedia.com/event. From seven to eight p.m. as well, Phonetic Spit will be hosting its weekly open mic via Instagram Live. You can do that. At phonetic spit again. That's at phonetic spit on Sunday, May third, from twelve p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Rattle will be hosting its weekly Poets Respond Live Open Mic via YouTube. You can find out more information about that at rattle.com/respond. Again, that's rattle.com/respond. And now let us turn to our poet guest of the week, Lydia Martinez. Hi, Lydia. Thank you very much for coming on to Poets and Muses. Hello. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You brought with you the poem "El Sacrificio de los Papas."、Mm-hmm. Before we get into that poem, I would love for you to tell us a little bit about yourself. We are coastal people from down south in the state of Sinaloa. My family are caretakers of. Portion of one of the rivers as it opens up into the ocean. As a child, I was brought in as contraband into this country. But because we grew up around people from back home, from our village, from our little town, it never felt like I had left my original country.、Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't really until 
a major moment in my life when my father passes away. That, that's when I came to realize that I was not where I thought I was, that I was in the U.S. and not Mexico. And, yeah. you know, so, of course, then that goes on to create a lot of amazing opportunities and writing prompts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, daughter of farm workers, grew up in the Central Valley in California, mm. eventually go off to college down south, UC Riverside. Okay. So I do my undergraduate work out there, take some time off, come to a point where I decide to go back to school. So then I go get my master's out in San Francisco mm-hmm. at um, California Institute of Integral Studies. Mm-hmm. From there, you know, life happens, family and things of that nature into eventually landing here in Arizona okay. two years ago. February. Oh, okay. I've been around. I've traveled, obviously, uprooting and changes. No stranger to me. So yeah, okay. Huh. Wait, when you say your family is a caretaker of a portion of a river, what do you mean by that? For short and sweet conversations, right? It's like, yeah, I'm from, you know, born in Mexico, Mexican, from the state of Sinaloa, right? But for us, you know, we continue to identify with our indigenous roots. Mm-hmm. And so the place where my mother's um, family is at, and even my father's included, but that has a different, you know, trajectory as well as to how they come into the area. But specifically for my mother's side of the family, her family has been, you know, on this land way before, you know, the country became Mexico or way before the, the region was known as the state of Sinaloa. So we've always have been, you know, on this area of this land that literally sits right in front of the river. Okay. So the homes, you know, my family's homes are sit in front of the river and it's that portion of the river, and I'm sure there's you know some terminology for it, but it's a portion. It's that portion of the river right as it spills out into the ocean. Okay. Um, okay. You know, so it's that tail end of it, and so my family has always been there, and so that's why for us, we've always seen ourselves as you know caretakers of that portion right. of that river, because you know there's just has always been that symbiotic relationship with it. When the river rises, when mm-hmm. it drops, mm-hmm. our houses are built you know, some feet off the ground because when that river overflows, Mm -hmm. then at least it doesn't immediately inundate your home, but eventually at some point, sometimes during the year, the river does rise enough to where you find yourself navigating on a canoe and living on the roof of your house because of the river. You know, that's kind of the low point where we're at and how high up the river rises. And such to where basically everything becomes submerged. So, you know, so there's always been this continuous, you know, non-attachment to things and understanding that nature will always call the shots in your life. Yes. Regardless of what (laughs) you think, um, it will always call the shots. And so you learn to live differently when you Mm -hmm. know that every year your home could potentially be um, underwater. So there's this, right. you know, this lack of attachment to things, which, I mean, I guess you can go, I have family members that have gone the other way, right, which is, you know, over excess an attachment to things because, you know, of lack of right. early on. But, but in essence, that's, you know, that's what it is. It's just really speaking to identifying and, you know, still continuing to connect to our indigenous roots mm-hmm. and just the way that we always see ourselves, right, where you right. always introduce yourself as, you know, as your lineage and where you come from. Obviously, histories have happened, so there's a lot of stuff that's missing. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, right, part of that resistance and that survival is to always continue to 
maintain that connection, mm-hmm. right? There was an elder that said one time, even if you only know one word in your language, in your original language, use it because that is what continues to keep, you know, your lineage and your ancestors alive. Mm-hmm despite what history has done, you know, to a lot of indigenous peoples around the world. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, we have such a bad history here in the U.S. with (laughs) our indigenous nations that we're not as aware of what um, other governments, especially in Latin America, well, actually all over the world, Mm -hmm. are doing to their regions, indigenous population. Mm -hmm. May I ask you, what nation are your people from? To be able to, you know, pinpoint like a very specific one, like it's not as like clear and concrete, right? Right, right. Because it still isn't really safe and such. So to be out in the open, but especially, you know, like the older generations, like they don't talk about it because, you know, they obviously experienced it way different than we are experiencing it and such and so but I know that within you know within the state and the region where I'm at there's a couple of different nations you know there's the Cajita there's the Caches the Tehuanes there's um the northern is more Yaqui Mayo Mm -hmm. my dad early on um I remember one of the key things that he always talked about was just really pushing forward the fact that you know that at the end of the day because of history we just have to go with that we are indigenous and that is that, right? Mm-hmm. Because histories have happened, so we've lost our songs, our dances, our you know, even to the point of our language or even knowing like which specific, you know, tribe right. we're from. Right. So my dad always just, you know, just really stressed forward that it that doesn't matter. You mm-hmm. know, what matters is that, you know, you continue to identify as indigenous and native to that land right. and and that's enough. Right. And also country borders they're kind of newish mm-hmm. in the 19th century yeah. or whatnot and they're made up. <laughs> yeah and especially like u.s mexico the relationship has changed and it, it went through california went through like four different governments quote unquote you mm-hmm. know you had the indigenous and you had the spanish and you have mexico mexico and you have america and mm-hmm. so with the creation of these two countries america and mexico mm-hmm. there's a cutoff between the different tribes of the same nations of indigenous mm-hmm. people yes so it's the tra- trade route didn't really care about borders there was a lot of fluidity yeah that's why like if you you know if you start to pay attention and you look at you know for example like the zuni nation mm-hmm. and if you pay attention to some of the items that they use you know then you'll wonder you're like how do they get a macaw you know how right. does macaw feathers play these key integral roles within you know within their society when everybody knows that, you know, macaws are from down south, Central right. America, South right. America, right? right? And so that's because there's just been this long-standing trade routes right. that have existed around the world yeah. way before people, you know, tripped on rocks and said, I found this landmass, <laughs> right? Like, people have been trading and communicating with each other forever. Yeah, people forever. travel. People, people travel, you know, people, people travel. <laughs> and so that has always been in existence. But exactly right. You have, you know, these specific moments in time when it's like, oh, this is when time begins or this is this now or what have you. <laughs> you know, and that's why to me, you know, I'm like for simple things, for simple purposes, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, Mexico, Sinaloa, right. But, that, but it's like Mexico in and of itself is also a settler state. 
Right. Right. Because it doesn't get created until 1821. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, what was it before that? And the same right. thing with over here with any of these states of California, Southwest. You know, there are all these settler states, settler nations and such. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, there's a lot of interesting history that mm -hmm. we don't get to learn about or talk about. So, in essence, they're kind of lost. And then indigenous becomes just another word for, you know, a less accepted words like Indians. Because somebody mistook this continent for another continent. Mm -hmm. like, yes, <laughs> yes. Anyway, getting back to poetry because, you know, we could do this for the rest of the podcast. Right. Um, how did you get into writing poetry? Well, I didn't know that's what I was doing. Mm -hmm. If, you know, per se, me identifying as a poet and reading and whatnot didn't happen until I was um, at UC Riverside. Mm -hmm. I was blackmailed into reading poetry for the first time. It was amazing. I loved it. I fell in love. The rush. I got it. And then, you know, you couldn't get me off stage after that. But um, but I feel that for me, writing was always something that I have done. Mm -hmm. I began, you know, my educational career in this country. You know, I showed up to kindergarten reading and writing, mm -hmm. right? Because my father, illiterate man, somehow is the one who taught me how to read and write. Okay. And insisted that, you know, I had to know that because I had to be better than the establishment, than mm -hmm. the man. Mm -hmm. Because my, you know, my father very much understood racism and the complexities behind it. We mm -hmm. grew up in the Central Valley. The the South is well alive out there. KKK, you know, so right. there was always this like, you have to be better. Right. You have to be better than them and you have to beat them at their game. Mm -hmm. So I showed up to kindergarten knowing how to read and write. Mm -hmm. English was a second language, but they still went and took me as an English second language learner mm. versus acknowledging the fact that I was the only kindergartner that knew how to read and write <laughs> and reading chapter books at that, you know, at that matter and stuff, you know, so reading and writing have always been an integral piece within our family. Our families from both sides were intellectuals. We mm. read, we write, we debate, we argue, mm. we like throw riddles at each other, just yeah. always trying to, you know, one up each other, on, you know, on this intellectual level, just really developing critical thinkers. Mm -hmm. So it's always been an integral part mm -hmm. of my life. You know, I've always have loved reading, um, have gotten in trouble for reading. You know, there's a lot of funny stories growing up with me and reading and how that got me into trouble. So it's always been a, a, a crucial part and then as you know as life progresses and things happen and you know traumas and pains and whatnot writing was my my go-to right. right you know it was just a book and I would just write wasn't conscious like oh I'm consciously journaling putting down my thoughts you know it was right, just right. me introvert didn't talk to nobody there was nobody to speak to about the stuff I was going through mm -hmm. So that's just where I turned to was books and writing. Mm -hmm. And in high school, growing up in Central Valley, you know, who gets what access to what. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like it was developed or anybody saw it as like, hey, you're a good writer. You're a good mm -hmm. reader. Like nobody ever saw it as a gift or anything to like develop or nourish or anything like that. It was mm -hmm. I was just another brown kid mm -hmm. that was good at passing classes. And that mm -hmm. was it. Mm -hmm. So it really wasn't until I showed up to UC Riverside and having, you know, encounters there with individuals like um, 
Dr. Tiffany Ana Lopez, who was one of my first English instructors, finding out that I had passed the, the UC writing exam to get into the UC oh, system. Good. And in order to figure out which English level you are in, right. you can actually test out of it, depending on how you do it okay. in your exam. Okay. I had you know, taken this test and I had passed it. So mm-hmm. then that ended up putting me in advanced English courses mm-hmm. in college. And that was honestly the very first time I ever knew that I couldn't write because I was being placed at higher level courses than right. my incoming classmates. Right. And to me, it was like, why am I in a different class? Am I in the slow class and they're in the high <laughs> class? Because I, obviously I was being singled out, you, right. know, me and two, you know, me and a couple others. And to me, I'm like, I must be in the low class. High school, I took AP English, and the entire school year was accused of plagiarism and cheating because the professor was adamant that there was no way that I could score 100% on spelling tests, vocabulary tests, and do so well on my writing assignment because she was comparing me to her other students in class. And the class was filled, you know, filled with white students, Portuguese descent, majority of them, Mm. one other African-American young woman in there, and then myself. Mm. And she was adamant that I cheated. And I'm like, who would I cheat off of? If I'm the only (laughs) one that got 100% and nobody else in this class did, who did I cheat? (laughs) You know, so I was never, you know, even though I was in these high, was being placed in these high classes in high school, Nobody was ever saying you're a writer. You have a right. you know you have right. skills. You have talent. So it wasn't until I got to college, and when that started to happen to me, I was like, I'm in the slow class. And instead, that's when I found out that I had passed this test. That right. you know that's rare. People pass it. So then I was being placed in higher classes, right. and you know, so that's when I started to find out that I was a writer, right. or that I could write. And even what that meant, right? I'm like, okay, everybody writes. And then it's like, no, but there's a difference. There's writers. And I'm like, well, what does that mean? And such. And then poetry. I'm like, poetry? Like, what does that mean? I just, I write in math form. So I don't know what poetry, you know, they're like, no, but you're a poet. But what does that mean? I just write in math because I like to play with with numbers and letters. There's mathematical formulas. And so to me, I'm like, no, I just like the way the words look. Like, I like making shapes and things right, like that, yeah, yeah. like geometry. And they're like, no, that's poetry. I'm like, what is that? <laughs> so anyways, so yeah, so it wasn't until I got to college that anybody ever started to tell me that there was actually a craft that right. I had been having forever. And so then those mentors, beautiful mentors, um, began to just hone in on it and just began to pull it out of me, um, edit work, suggest, you know, just really started to do that. And then, like I said, the first time I ended up reading um, on stage, it was through blackmail. I was like, okay, I do poetry. So by then I had started to type poems and have a binder, but it was mine. Nobody saw it. And one day I made the mistake of leaving it unattended. So one of the office persons at Chicano Student Programs, which was a a resource center for Chicano Latino youth Mm -hmm. identified that were coming to UC Riverside, she took it and she held it and she was like, you can have this back if you read at the, I think it was like Dia de los Muertos, they were having an event, an event (laughs) and you know, so she's like, you're on the lineup to read and I'm like, no, I am not, I know, you're crazy and she's like, well, only one way to get this binder is to do that so then I was like okay fine I'll read 
And so then I'm like, can I have my binder? She's like, no, you're going to get it that night. And I'm like, well, I need my binder because my poems are in there. How am I going to, you know, how am I supposed to read? She's like, well, then write new ones. Ooh. I was like, oh. <laughs> you know, and so, so whatever. So that banter went on back and forth for a couple of days. And, you know, I would try to go when she was in, in the office, but everything was locked. And, you know, because I was determined to get my binder back. And right. she, she pulled a fast one on me and held her word. And I had no choice but to show up to the event with new poems, read them, and then after the fact, got my binder back. Wow. <laughs> but by then, I mean, like, I remember, like, running home after the event and calling one of my friends and who was a performer, and I was like, is this what you feel when you go on stage? And they're like, they're all, you fell in love, didn't you? I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, and then after that, I joined teatro and I started performing. You know, and then after that, I had a stage life. Right, and right. then, you know, started doing open mics and reading and publishing and things like that. So That's great. So anyways, so yeah, so I didn't know I was a writer and then I got tricked into it and then I fell in love with it and... This is, you know, this is what I do. But I mean, but initially it goes back to just, you know, this was a, it was, it was a, you know, it was a coping mechanism. It was a healthy mm-hmm. coping mechanism. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in order to be able to process and just manage everything that was going on early on. Right, right. And such. So, but yeah, but it's interesting to see, you know, I've been, you know, I've moved, so I'm going through things and rereading stuff and so it's just interesting to see how things have changed you know the progression of my work how it has shifted I'm a mother now so obviously there's this new character that now begins to show up in the work and even the open mic that I did where we Mm -hmm. met over at Palabras the work that I read was from my first two um, chat books so it's Mm -hmm. old work so it was interesting to read it and feel and hear the different energy that it holds now from right. when they were originally written and published and I was reading them right. um, and that type of energy that it had then. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so it's just interesting just to be, you know, just to track your own growth and change. Yeah, yeah, it is very interesting to go back and read old works. And mm-hmm. Like when I go back, I'm like, ugh, why? <laughs> you know, something that you loved back then and you're like, ugh, no. Yeah, <laughs> or you read something and you're like, oh, wow, like that didn't make me cry and tear me open anymore you know you're obviously aware of what you're writing about what you wrote about and you're like oh wow like that didn't tear me open and then there's other things you know because I've been going through you know going through a lot of my work and there's some things that I read I'm like I'm like wow I'm like that's I'm all you know and you I was like man like that's a fresh wound still yeah still like you just feel it and then there's others that you're like oh it doesn't feel the same anymore but um but yeah, it's interesting. I like it. I like I've been enjoying going back, reading a lot of my old stuff. Um, I came across one of my folders, which was where I began to jump into the realm of short stories. Mm-hmm. So then beginning to read these little short stories and reading like my little outline and my plan that I had mm-hmm. back then for these short stories. And so going through reading them and I'm like, I'm like, wow, I'm like, wow. 
I'm a writer. I'm talented. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm going back reading it, right, obviously, right, through right. this, like, different lens, right, growth, exactly. change, age, yeah. mature, maturity, and such. No, exposure to other writing. Yeah, exactly. More exposure, just, you know, more refinement of the craft. Because those were written when, you know, I began to get into it. Yeah. And then I stopped working on them. And then now at this point in time, going back with all of this other, you know, stuff that has happened in between... And then to read it again now as someone, you know, now as someone that I'd be like, oh, yeah, I do short stories. Like, yeah, that's part of my work or my craft. And mm-hmm. to re- go back and read it now, it's like, oh, wow, like, I am good. Like, that was me starting off. Right. And it has, like, like, I was reading some of them. I'm like, there's a lot of good stuff yeah, in here yeah. that I could actually keep uh-huh. in order to keep pushing this project forward versus, you know, looking at it and being like, oh, yeah, I don't. I don't know what I was doing. It's <laughs> just a bunch of letters on paper. So, yeah, it's interesting. It's nice. I like it. Yeah. And, I mean, things also change, right? Like, mm-hmm. shift. Like, yes. As I said, some, some of the stuff, I'm, I'm just like, oh, my God, I wrote that. And I can't believe I wrote that. And then, then some of the stuff, you're like, oh, hey, this I actually like this more now than before. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. A different appreciation. But the feeling-wise, it's yes. really amazing it's like reading your diary in some ways right? mm-hmm. so if you don't mind giving us a demonstration of that i think this is part of the older works right yes this yeah. is part of the older work so this one's titled el sacrificio de las papas the refrigerator smells like it hasn't been opened in months a bag of potatoes and a jarra of goshen water sit inside each child takes turns opening the door Hoping the papas will magically turn into, 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 into anything that's not papas. If they open the door one more time, it just might fall off. Mother opens fridge, makes papas fritas and rajitas. Mother opens fridge, makes papas fritas and cuadritos. Mother opens fridge, makes papas fritas redonditas. Mother opens fridge, makes papas fritas. Each day, father comes home hungrier than his children. He has picked food he cannot give them. He teaches them the meaning of irony. Campesinos who cannot afford the food they grow and pick. He no longer bothers to ask what's for dinner. Today, a conejo has given its life for us. It waited for papi's tractor. It threw itself at it. Shipetotec flayed himself for spring. Papi prayed for it, skinned it, returned its skin to Mother Earth as thanks so that it may clothe the flowers to come. Children salivate. They dance around Papi. Tonight we have meat. Conejito frito con papas fritas. Mmm. Rabbit tastes like chicken. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Even though the ending is very funny, it's such a heart-wrenching poem Mm. to, to... read and to listen to tell us when you wrote that so i wrote this one while i was at uc riverside so these are what early 2000 Mm. late 90s Mm. and so at that point in time i was just really beginning to put onto paper growing up and my experiences Mm. and such but really just documenting and at the same time whether it was conscious or unconscious, but just really like highlighting the strength and the resiliency that I come from despite the environments, right? Mm-hmm. And such, 
I remember like the night that I read this um, at Palabras, you know, people were laughing and just enjoying it and giggling, right? Especially because of the way that I do it in the beginning, right? With, you know, mom cutting potatoes in different shapes, right? right? So supposedly you're having a different meal every day, but you're right. really not, you know? And so then, then that's why I was curious, right? I was like, oh, why did this one speak to you? You know, and then that's when you just said, right? You picked up on that, that heart-wrenching piece, mm -hmm. right? Because this was a point in time in our lives, you know, we grew up farm workers and in one hand blessed because my father was able to secure work as a farm worker with, um, with the rancher that basically, you know, had him as his right hand. Right. So while, yes, we did the whole farm worker moving around, we moved around for his land. So we still right. kind of stayed within a certain perimeter. Right. So we didn't do the whole interstate migration right. that a lot of families have had yeah. to do and continue to do. So in those regards, we were blessed because we didn't do the interstate migration, but we still were just doing this continuous movement, right? Mm -hmm. Because he would oversee the implementation of a new field, right? Mm -hmm. And so if, if Cotton was going to go in, then he would be the one to ensure that the crew, you know, the tilling and the establishing and, you know, get it going and mm -hmm. a system going, the water system. And then when it was well-rooted, then he would oversee that and maybe get sent off to go and you know start a new crop you know mm -hmm. okay you're gonna go over there and do corn or what have you and so you know so there was still this continuous movement around and sometimes we lived together and sometimes we didn't because mm -hmm. it just depended on whether you know there was a place to live or not or even just the the financial component right. and so this poem specifically is talking about a moment in time when we were living in this small little town called Goshen and I don't remember where we had been prior to that but I remember that for this particular one this poem is being written when we used to live um, in a motel mm. and literally we had a jar of water and a bag of potatoes like that was it yeah. that was all that we had um, you know so this poem is very much it's yeah. a poverty poem my father was working out arrangements with the motel owner in order for us to stay there because obviously there was lack of income coming in with him being a farm worker. Mm -hmm. So this poem is about that time period when we were there. My dad's at work and accidentally ran over or hit, killed a rabbit. So he did. He prepped it, brought it home, and we that night we had <laughs> something else to add to it with our potatoes and such, yeah. right? Yeah. Really talking to that strength and that resiliency and just the creativeness of just figuring it out and making do with what you have, but at the same time always, you know, giving thanks for what you have. Because if this is when we were in Goshen, then shortly at some point in time, I believe it was through the school because we were living, the motel sat next to the elementary school where we were going at at that point in time. Yeah. And I believe through them, they helped to secure, you know, a home. So we, you know, we eventually did move into a home that didn't last very long because shortly thereafter, that's around the time when my, um, when my father had a, you know, work-related accident. And so he passed away. And so oh. then... So I feel like this point in time, you know, it's when we were, you know, in a motel, completely dirt poor, you know, are able to find this home and finally have a home, stability, 
and whatnot, and then it doesn't last very long because then after when my dad dad passes away, again we had to you know uproot and and move somewhere more where we had a little bit more of access to services and just right. even community, just you know so that my mom can figure out what to do with three babies. Wow. So yeah, so that's what this is. You know, this is marking that one moment incident right when we had rabbit mixed in with our with our potatoes and such and so it's heart-wrenching and it's you know it's poverty at its finest but at the same time you know it's really highlights that resiliency and the strength within my family overall but at the same time you know within a lot of families yeah right within a lot of families that find themselves in those situations but yet you know manage manage to figure it out yeah i, I mean you have to Mm-hmm. No option. <laughs> Failure is not an option. No. I really enjoyed that you brought in, well, not only just playing with the papas fritas in different shapes. Rajitas is, what? I wasn't sure because I know the other ones is cubes and round. Yeah, so shapes. the rajitas would be the, um, well, oh, for slices, us, the, right. the slices. Oh, like, slices. Like French fries style. Yeah. And then there's just plain fried potatoes. <laughs> so yeah. who knows what shape that was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the conejo came in, the rabbit, when it committed suicide on your dad's tractor, so that you had a meal and you brought in the cultural aspect. Mm-hmm. Um, the, um, is it hipe totec? Shipe. Shipe, shipe totec. A lot of times people are like, oh, it's the gods, they're deities, you know, but that that concept, you know, is a foreign concept imposed onto another culture. But, you know, but in essence, they're energy sources, they're energy manifestations and how you relate with the, with the environment around you. And so Xipetotec is, is associated to spring, to the Mm -hmm. springtime, right? One of the stories is that Xipetotec had flayed himself, you know, basically Mm -hmm. removed the top layer of his outer skin. And that's what he used in order to like clothe and create flowers and you know springtime you know right. you know to clothe all these like bare branches and such and you it's know a lot of renewing yes so shibetotek is associated with renewal with mm-hmm. springtime with the seasonal of springtime but with just renewal and rebirth mm-hmm. um, sacrifice and giving of life so that life can come of it. Right. Right. And so which is why, you know, Shipit jumps in um, in relation to the, you know, to the rabbit. Because, right, she, right. you know, the rabbit gives its life so that others can, can you know, can be nourished and right, continue right. their life. Right. Which would be three hungry babies at home, tired of potatoes and water. <laughs> so, yeah. So that's where Shipit comes in. And, mm-hmm. you know, and like I said, it's interwoven across all of my work. It's always there. This was like the first time we ate rabbit. Mm. But then again, at least me personally, because, you know, my, my two, I'm, I'm the oldest of three. Mm. And so my two younger brothers were obviously babies during this time period. Mm. So I'm the one that had more exposure to <laughs> to the eclectic palette of meats mm. um, under my belt. By the time I was, you know, eight or nine, I had eaten things that probably you know some adults have still yet to even consider trying or eating so I wasn't a you know it wasn't foreign to to eating different types of foods or meats but that might have but been, this might have been the, good for you though well the, ironically the well, yeah. aspects well it. I mean yeah my 
And I was fed early on like iguanas and snakes. Mm -hmm. But then I feel that's part of that, you know, constantly, you know, through food is how you're rooted. Mm -hmm. and how you make connection and so for me I've always seen it that if early on before I was even verbal I'm already being introduced to these animals that are very much like connected to the earth because that's yeah. where they live right snakes yeah. iguanas they are like as close as it gets to being you know earth and land dwellers yeah. and, and also to, very regional Yes, you know, and to be fed that early on, for me, like, that's just, you know, further, like, rooting me and connecting me to earth, right? Mm -hmm. That connection with the land, understanding that there is this symbiotic relationship that goes with it. Yeah, yeah. And and I think Western modern living, mm -hmm. we lose a lot of that because we go to the supermarket yeah. and we see disembodied meats uh, that come from God knows where and how they're raised and stuff like that. So it's very disconnected to the earth and also distances us from the idea that we need to protect the earth that feeds us, the clothes yeah. us, that provides everything, provides our home and everything. So that disconnection is not there when when you are eating off the land because you have to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, and at the same time, I mean, for us, it has always been not seen as a deficit. It has seen actually like as a, it's a strength and it's a positive because we've always understood that to be able to go out to the ocean and get your own fish and go out to the lemon grove and get your own limes, mm -hmm. like that is way better than going to like a grocery store yeah. you know and buying your fish there it's like well just go to the ocean it's super fresh and a yeah. lot more delicious just the quality aspect obviously the cost effectiveness of it yeah. but i've always seen it as you're better off living off the land than depending on a grocery store yeah you i know? mean and also provided that there's no pollution going mm -hmm. on which unfortunately it just poisons that aspect of yeah just getting off of your surroundings because if you happen to live on land which often people especially brown and black people tend to live on land that's polluted contaminated yeah. mm -hmm. um, and very poor people mm -hmm. the food that you get from that unfortunately is also poisoned yes so yeah it's it's a beautiful poem and Thank I love you. how in some ways, you're doing meta commentating, like the shipe, mm -hmm. the dotek line. You know, you're commenting on this experience. Of course, even though this is an older poem that's almost, what, like 20 years old now, more than that, but you're still, even at the time that you wrote it, you were looking back mm -hmm. at your childhood experience. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, like the poems we write at the moment that we experience something, and then the poems that we write when we're looking back at something, mm -hmm. it's a very different kind of poem. Yeah, it is. It very much is. I've always, you know, let people know that whenever they hear or they read one of my poems, it's never my present work. Mm. It's always something that's is old and has passed, and it's never my present work. It's really actually rare that I will put out there something that's, you know, present moment. It's always you know even when you have even if i you know pull out like oh this is a new poem mm -hmm. it's actually not a new poem it's actually an old poem 
So it will always, my work, when I present it, you know, to the outside, it will always be old. Right. There's always an elapse of time between the experience and you writing about it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I will always immediately write about an experience. There are exceptions when they are like super intense experiences that take you time to process and find words for it, right? Like there are some things that to date I still have yet to be able to write about or even write about fully. And who knows if I will ever be able to get to that point because of the level of like intensity and energy that was involved in the actual experience, Mm -hmm. right? So, you know, me going to Chiapas and being with the Zapatistas around the Actial Massacre is one of those moments in my life where I still have yet to be able to put on paper anything that's near being able to, like, encapsulate what that moment in time, you know, was for me. And I may never be able to. And that's okay, right? Because there's just some things that you have no words for. Um, But outside of moments like that, something will happen and I will write it. But then after I write it, how long will it be before anybody sees what was written? That mm-hmm. will vary okay. because for me, you know, it's it's part of this healing process and just processing. You know, and healing doesn't mean everything's like, you know, I'm healing something bad. It just means you're just, you write something, you process it, you learn something, you heal, you know, you move forward and whatnot. And so depending on what that is, then that determines, you know, how long it may take for that poem to be seen or to be heard, right? right? So even if I'm, you know, you're reading a poem about something that happened, it has happened. Right. So I'm not publishing or putting anything out there like the moment that it happens because for Mm -hmm. me it's important because I'm not writing too, you know, I do read, I publish and that, but that's not the reason why I write. I write as my own, you know, arts practice and my own process. And so for me, like, I have to go through that process before that poem goes out into the world. So, yeah, so my friends always laugh because especially when, you know, when we're writing those poems about, you know, those love interests, the crushes (laughs) or whatnot, right? They've stopped expecting it to be, like, a present moment crush. It's always like, so, who who is that? Was that? How long, like, (laughs) we didn't know about this moment? And I'm like, yeah, I was remembering, you know, back in 2005 or (laughs) that one time I went to, you know, to Cuba or what have you and stuff. And so, but when you read them, you know, you read them as if I'm like deep in that moment with that person, right? Because it's, you know, it still honors that energy exchange, but it doesn't necessarily mean like I'm presently experiencing that. One of them, so there's an emotions a lot of people share whether or not, mm-hmm. you know, they are specifically crushing on the same person. Yeah. Because it's, we all have certain emotions. Crushes is one of the most covered subjects. Yes. You know, a lot of people write love poetry because this is what makes us, what moves yes. our hearts, you yes. know. Like, and also this particular poem why um, it it also resonates because unfortunately some of the same things are still happening. Mm-hmm. It's not like this is something that's been mm-hmm. eliminated, mm-hmm. and that's why I, I picked my poem because it's also about access yes. or lack thereof. Yes, 
And uh, just before we go to my poem, which is called Sanctuary, I, I wanted to comment that I was surprised when you told me just now that your father was basically a foreman mm -hmm. because of the level of poverty. I mean, uh, it's obvious from your poem that he was a farm worker, but I didn't realize he was at a supervisory level and still experiencing this level of poverty. It's shocking considering how much subsidies U.S. farmers get. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it's to keep them from bankruptcy, but at the same time, if it's such a large farm that you actually got to travel, that means they had a system of farms. They're a, they're a pretty large operation. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's really shocking. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? And it's that whole notion or as far as, you know, what people's labor is worth. Yes, you know, especially physical labor. Especially physical labor, where it's like that's seen as something that shouldn't be paid. At the same time, that's what creates and builds systems and societies. But yet, yeah. it's so undervalued. But I can sit in an office and earn my living, but I'm in an office. I'm not free. You know, yes, I could be emotionally and mentally exhausted. And yes, it's tiring. And yes, it's stressful. But I'm not outside breaking my body. Yeah. And that's the thing is that we, we have put such a low value yes. of physical labor. I think the explanation or the rationalization is that anybody can do it. So the skill set is easier uh -oh. to find. But that's not necessarily <laughs> that's not true. You know, when, when You're you are... You're going to live off of candles if you try to put me in being an electrician, <laughs> a plumber. I'm like, oh no, we're living off the land. We're doing bare because we are plumbing, electrical. Like, Well, those those are actually... They do earn good money. They, they do earn Because good money. we've built a society that has depended... Yeah. You know, we are now dependent on, you know, ACs and lights right, and right, whatnot. Right. So it has gone up, yeah. right, you could say. But other things... But for me, I think we just don't think about it as much. We just think, you know, we can just hire anybody off of the streets. I'll read my poem and we can talk about it. So it's called Sanctuary. Another record day for the history books. Mercury announces the news all aglow. Watermelon juice mingles with the sweat of fortunate ones savoring the sweet respite. After toiling in the meander betwixt car and fiesta, tables piled with diverse offerings nestle on the still soft earth engorged from the glistening green grasses nightly watering. A contrast to the lack of attention distant vagabonds in tatters demonstrate from the local municipality Fresh from their expulsion off of the cooled light rail, passengers must have a destination, the loudspeakers announce, as uniformed personnel ushers the destitute off of the half-empty refuge onto an open landscape with little shade and less shelter. I was reading it earlier, you know, when you had sent it in, and so, you know, I've been reading it, mm -hmm. staring at it, and just... You know, I mean, it's just beautiful, just the different things that you find with each reading and mm. such. And then even right before, you know, coming in for today, I was like, I'm going to look at it again and see what comes up. And so, <laughs> of course, the watermelon. I'm like, I love watermelon. Yeah. Just that right there. I was like, oh, our poems are the same. <laughs>
because it's such a summer fruit, right? It's yes. so associated with the summer, and it has such a refreshing aspect to it. This first half, the fiesta, is actually somewhat imagined. This not was not mm-hmm. something that actually happened. I mean, I've seen plenty of picnics in the parks, or you know, family gatherings in the park where the, the picnic tables are covered with all kinds of food. So I wanted to bring that sumptuousness to it and the the cornucopia of offerings in contrast Mm -hmm. to people not even having any kind of shelter against this awful heat that starts to happen as early as April. Yeah. No, I just loved it. I mean, I just love how, I mean, I enjoy, right, like seeing other individuals work and their play with words and metaphors and images, right? And how they communicate to you, you know, a hot day, mm-hmm. right? And such. And so to me, just just like the second and the third line, the, you know, Mercury announces the news all aglow, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, yeah, right? You could be like Mercury the planet, but if you're familiar, you know, with the Mercury thermometers mm-hmm. and stuff, you're like, oh man, that, you know, to me, I was like, thermometer, like I just, had the vision because right. I grew up with mercury thermometers right. the glass thermometers you know having your temperature <laughs> taken yeah. and then later on in life they're like that should not be done and you're like oh <laughs> I grew up with the mercury thermometer I wonder <laughs> if that explains a lot of stuff for what <laughs> you know and then of course watermelon I mean to me once you start putting food mm. into your work like your food just does something and it can communicate so much, right, right? right? And so then just the aspect of watermelon, I think I have one that talks about watermelons also, mm-hmm. or tacos, or who knows. But um, but yeah, because I feel like food food is a good, it's a bridge, right? Mm-hmm. Like you can use food, you know, in so so many ways in order to, to explain or to talk about whatever is happening. Yeah. You know, that you don't even have to describe the moment. You just bring in that food and... It's either being eaten, not eaten, rotten, fresh, or, you know, right, smell right. or what have you. And that right there just kind of sets your scene. Yeah. I mean, we all understand food because we mm-hmm. all have to eat in order to survive mm-hmm. and, you know, do well and, you know, not be angry. <laughs> right. <laughs> or people who get hangry. Right. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, so then... Just kind of sitting with it and just, you know, like, okay, it's super hot. We're outside, we're eating, and, you know, just, there's just a lot, you know, there's stuff happening, right? And there's a lot of movement, and, you know, for me, like, I just saw a lot of, you know, movement, a lot of people coming and going, people telling people where to be and not to be, and, you know, all housed under the title of sanctuary. You still have this movement of people for me, right, like I saw these, mo- you know, these markers as far as where people could and couldn't be and, yeah. you know, and types of people. Yeah. Housed under sanctuary, which mm-hmm. sanctuary, you know, has its own meaning and definition to it and such. And so it's almost kind of like this contrast and this opposite of what sanctuary means right, right. as a whole, but then what sanctuary means to you as you know, your own personal sanctuary, right, as you're moving around a community or a society being told, you know, you belong or you don't belong or you get to have watermelon, you don't get to have watermelon or you get to enjoy your watermelon or you can't enjoy your watermelon, right? 
you know, because if you're on the light rail, like, you can't eat your watermelon on it, (laughs) you know, and stuff, and you're hungry or what have you, or you have to eat it outside, and, you know, and then you have, what did you say, vagabonds and tatters. Yeah, and and there's just different ways of escaping the natural disaster that's Mm -hmm. Arizona heat or Mm -hmm. Phoenix heat, you know, and I feel like, in a way, people who are in poverty are almost afterthoughts, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. the contrast between how the grass is watered yes. and how they're being treated. So I imagine the engorgement of the of the grass, of the park, yes. where they're having yes. this picnic. And then again, in contrast to mm-hmm. this dryness, not only of the feelings mm-hmm. of tour, tour people without money, toward people who can't afford to have a shelter, have a cooled shelter in this disastrous heat, yes. or not have the resources to reach mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. cooling center. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, having this expectation that you have to have the destination yeah. versus you can't just enjoy, yeah. you know, just be like, yeah, I'm just, you know, I don't have a destination. I just want to just go and see where you know where I end up at today but instead it's just like this constant need of like you must have you know somewhere that you're going or something right this rationalization Mm -hmm. of your existence of your actions and I feel like this country is very steep in that need for um you need to give us a reason why you exist, why you deserve yes. certain treatment, why you... Where are you, you going? Yeah. Yes. There, there's always a need here? for explanation, mm-hmm. but especially toward people who are marginalized. Yes. Especially if, to people who are seen as not belonging mm-hmm. here, even though somebody like an indigenous person belongs to here a lot yeah. longer. <laughs> Those who have colonized the place. So it's it's a very strange contrast yeah. to have this to need to know where you're going. Need to use it in the utilitarian way that mm-hmm. they're saying mm-hmm. that you are using it for. Not the way that other people are sort of like inadvertently using it for. It's just like a cooling, mobile cooling center. Yes. A place where you could just find a little bit of a rest where you don't feel exhausted, dragged out by the heat. Yes. Which is sanctuary, right? Yeah. Having a safe place, yeah. a safe space. Yeah, exactly. You know, being able to enjoy, you know, the outdoors unbothered. And if we've removed, you know, if Phoenix has removed parks or gathering places like that, then and downtown is the light rail center, then that's where you're going to, you know, there's a tree there, there's a bench there. That's where you're going to be in order to enjoy a hot day or what have you. You know, it's just sanctuary. And I feel that everybody, that's what we do on a daily basis is just find sanctuary, find refuge. You know, whether we take refuge in our work or we, you know, find sanctuary in our homes or what have you. Yeah. Or we find refuge in being in the outdoors and enjoying nature and such. Yeah. But yet, under that, which is this normal human need reaction entity, there's this policing of where you can and cannot be. Yeah. 
also it's this oh, oh we don't know you we don't know what you do on a daily mm-hmm. basis but because you look a certain way you yes. cannot do this yes and there's an assumption that people without money poor people who might not have shelter are not working there's mm-hmm. a, a laziness associated yes. with that yes. even if somebody might be a seasonal farm worker mm-hmm. um, as you experience i mean you were lucky to have this uh, found a motel that would take you in right but a lot of people have to live in their cars or if mm-hmm. they don't have a car they just live out of their bags or their shopping cars or whatever they can get their mm-hmm. hands on but they're not necessarily not working uh, ironically enough and mm-hmm. and and the lack of shelter also prevents you from finding work yes it's, so it's it's a lot of catch 22 mm mm-hmm. It's by design. <laughs> I, I feel like a lot of people design systems without understanding the people that they're designing it for. Mm-hmm. Or not think about the unintentional consequences of their design. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's very much intentional. Mm-hmm. You know, and by design intended to keep people in their place. Mm-hmm. You see that a lot within public policy mm-hmm. as to you know, what communities get bulldozed over for parking lots, where mm-hmm. do bus stops go, where do bus stops get removed from. Mm-hmm. Even if you pay attention to bus routes and the time from which that they run. Mm-hmm. You know, you have some bus routes that only run in the early mornings and then in the evening times and then scattered in between mm-hmm. because they're taking labor force, you know, maids, cleaning, housekeeping, landscaping, Mm -hmm. individuals from, you know, their neighborhoods to the affluent neighborhoods to go clean. And so you only need those buses to take them out in the early morning to show up to the homes and then to take them back at the end of the day. But there's really no other reason why that bus needs to run in between Mm -hmm. because... The whole purpose for that bus is to take housekeeping to the houses and then return them back. You know, right. so when you pay attention to things like that, they're very much intentional and by design to keep people in their respective corners according to what certain individuals in society have determined, you know, to be between the haves and the have-nots. Right. I've lived on those bus routes. And- Sometimes it makes it very difficult to live in certain areas because mm-hmm. you can Again, there's an assumption that most people do a, and you might not live that life. Yeah. You could even do an environmental scan and pinpoint where are the bus stops situated that have shade structures mm. compared to the bus stops that don't have shade structures. So you'll start to notice a trend and, you know, based on zip codes and lives in those areas as to even as simple as something as to who gets shade at a bus stop and who doesn't get shade mm-hmm. at a bus stop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's environmental racism at play right there. Right, right. As right. to who gets, you know, nice comfy bus stops and who doesn't. Who yeah. gets plants planted around the bus stop so it can provide additional shade and freshness yeah, yeah. versus who has a bench and a pole. Right. And it also speaks to how money travels or lack thereof the circulation of mm-hmm. funding again going back to the, this mistaken idea of who produces who contributes more mm-hmm. 
and therefore who gets more. Yeah. There's a lot more people who are doing manual labor, who are doing what we call support work yeah. than the heads of companies or even teams or, or project managers mm-hmm. or, you know, any, any middle management and upward. There's a lot more people who are on the bottom doing that mm-hmm. work. And the better we treat them, it actually comes up that, you know, if they have a better day, we get to have a better day. It's, it's mm-hmm. amazing, but we don't think of it that way. We don't think of Capitalism. the after effects. <laughs> but I think, I think you could, could be capitalistic and still be self-interestedly altruistic. Mm-hmm. Because helping people, in essence, does help you in the long term. Mm-hmm. Because if you're providing mental health for homeless people, for instance, that means it's less likely that you get randomly hurt by someone that you just run into, mm-hmm. not necessarily they're trying to hurt you, but if they're having an episode. Yeah, they're having an episode. And that kind of just like secondary, tertiary thinking does not happen when we build systems. It's all about this immediacy of what do I get? Mm-hmm. If I don't get it, I don't care. Mm-hmm. It's not like, oh, I could think about myself and also think about other people, help others, mm-hmm. by helping me by helping others. Mm-hmm. Because I think you can still have a capitalistic society and still allow these spending set public f- funding to take place mm-hmm. where you're helping people in the long term, helping yourself, like cutting public health costs by yeah. having good public health system because then, then people don't have to go to emergency. They don't mm-hmm. services don't have to cost so much more. Exactly. Because right now it costs so much more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we don't see it immediately. Yeah. We just don't think of it yeah. that way. And see for me, like to me, like that's not to me, you know, capitalism is, you know, selfish, self centered, you know, it exploits and it's individualistic and there is the top and then there's those at the bottom that provide, you know, the resources to be hoarded at the top. To then do the, you know, to, to provide resources and services and and all of that, that's not capitalism. That's, you know, that's something else, right? That's living more, you know, more communal, more imbalanced and providing resources to everyone, right? Because there is, to me, like there is basic resources and needs and services that everybody should have irregardless right because it's basic right housing is a basic human right food is a basic human right you know access to health care right because those that is what creates you know these healthy communities healthy communities healthy populations healthy societies and then outside of that we all have our decisions and our choices that we make in life as to you know what we want to do and you know what makes us happy mm-hmm. then that's where you have this other level right but as long as there's no exploitation and it maintains everybody else's basic needs, to me, like that's something else that's not capitalism. Like capitalism is what it is, and that's the structure within which that we're in, and it doesn't work. It's never been meant to work and stuff. It's designed to have the haves and the have-nots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we need to create a different system and a different type of structure that 
honors people that meets their basic needs and such. And so that's why, you know, to me, like with the Zapatistas down in Chiapas and the EZLN, you know, their philosophy is, is to be able to create a world where many worlds can exist. Mm. So that way, if someone chooses, you know, to maintain their way of life in this manner, then respect it and honor it and you do you, right? Yeah. But as long as there's always this constant, you know, respect and this balance for basic human life, right? Yeah. Without the exploitation, without the displacement, without all of this this other stuff, right? And it's really working towards being better and having to heal a lot of stuff that has happened. And then at the same time, you know, being able to create something better because we have to. You know, I mean, we're already being evicted by Mother Earth and she'll just fully evict us and start from scratch and do a do-over. You know, she will be fine. She will redo her thing. And if we want to stay, not be fully evicted from the Earth, then we need to change. Yeah, and uh, there's not much negotiation. And brand new tenants. And we're we're seeing that. We're we're seeing that where she's, you know, removing the infection as the parasites. And that's us because we're not properly maintaining the balance we're not yeah and, and so <laughs> and it's because this this idea that some people have very a minority of people have mm-hmm. that unless i cheat unless i take everything from somebody else i'm not okay there's yeah. this sort of very psychological lack that they have it's much more like in the mind than mm-hmm. in the body they are unhealthy yeah in their own way mm-hmm. and they're not addressing it and it's really sad to see that and that taking over really mm-hmm. at, at this moment i wonder if we have come to the point of no return yeah it's it's tough to be living well, in this time i guess it depends on whether folks know how to live off land or they don't because if you don't then yeah you're at, you're at no return you know if you are dependent upon the system then yeah you might be at no return, but if you're able to live off the land, hunt, start fire, clean water, then let it crumble. You know where to go. <laughs> you know you know where to go. You know what you need to do and let it crumble and figure it out. Like what's wrong with ending your day when the sun sets and then starting it when the sun rises? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. You know, lights off are for a reason. <laughs> you know, the sun is done. Yeah. Well, but so. even even when there were no electricity, there were still night owls who did the guarding. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you yeah, yeah exactly when you farm and harvest according to the moonlight. Yeah. But that again, right? That takes you back to you are connected to the seasons. Yeah. You have winter camp. You have summer camp. You know, you do certain things in the summertime and you don't do them in the wintertime, you know. And then based on where you're at and the regions, you know, if there's snow, no snow, storms, what have you. But again, it's living in balance with the seasons that are around you. Mm-hmm. You know, wintertime, you're supposed to slow down, not keep going a mile a minute, <laughs> you know, and wait for springtime. And then springtime is when you're like, okay, it's time to get out. It's time to, you know, start to do and plant and clean and, you know, and get ready. So, yeah, I'm a, obviously I love modernization given that I'm using my computer to do my work at the same time. 
we are yeah. all dependent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we do need to balance better mm -hmm. because um, right now we're moving out of it, but kicking and screaming because we're being dragged out of this idea that oh, we can conquer all. Yeah, and we're the king of the. You, you know, know it's like kind of technology thing. is nice, phones are nice. Do you need to have a brand? You know iPhone 11 and then next year it's the 12 or whatever numbers right, are on, right? Yes, yeah, like seasonal, like seasonal change through iPhone. That's, <laughs> that's the unnecessary excess part. You're right. You know, right, why can't right. it just be a good, solid phone? Because somebody needs to make a huge uh, mm -hmm. bonus. Right. And, and, you know, someone shareholders needs more. value. Someone needs more. Yeah, because you start creating, mm -hmm. consuming for the sake of creating value where there's really mm -hmm. no more value. I mean, you can change technology, you can make something better, but sometimes, as you said by design, they already had the fix, they just won't release it until later so they can get more, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it becomes very unnecessary. So, and then that becomes problematic. Yes. On that happy note. <laughs> right so, enjoy your day people <laughs> go home and practice cutting potatoes <laughs> yeah yeah i'll give you three different kinds now go and cook it <laughs> so i wanted to ask you to let people know where they could see you read and how they can follow you to find out more about your writing as far as reading so at um palabras bilingual bookstore off on mcdowell I had made the decision to reissue my first two poetry books. So then both of those are available there. Okay. And their names? One of them is Haciendo Trencitas con el Hilo de la Luna. Okay. And then the other one is Cosiendo con un Hilo Rojo. And then I'm still learning and getting the hang of this whole social media thing. But on Instagram, <laughs> it is at Loons Lola Sevens. Okay. L U N E S L O L A 7 S. So there, there's a mixture of just, you know, all the different artistic mediums that I play with and such from, you know, the journals that I make, bookmarkers to the poetry to jewelry. So, you know, it's just a variety. Cool variety of stuff there and then i'll be doing the open mics at palabras whenever time permits cool. and then as i settle more in and kind of figure out where where the poetry world is at out here then maybe i'll start venturing out into yeah into other areas thank you so much i really appreciate no, thank you for inviting me this was fun thank you so much you can also purchase lydia's books directly from her by contacting her on instagram be sure to follow us at our website, poetsandmuses.com, and via social media on Instagram as well as Twitter under Poets and Muses. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter at poetsandmuses.com or the upper right-hand side of the Poets and Muses SoundCloud page. I'm your host, Imogen A-Rate. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you have a safe and healthy week, and I look forward to bringing you another episode next Sunday.